as Mike had mentioned, provided Bibles around you, page 638, if that's a helpful help for you. Uh, the title for my sermon today, which I forgot to put on the screen, is to contend for the true gospel. Contend for the true gospel. So we've been walking through the book of Acts over the last several months. And a few weeks ago, as we were looking at Acts 13, we saw where the church was gathered together. And while they were fasting and praying, the, the Holy Spirit intervenes on them and, and, the, the, and, and says in the midst of them and, and makes it clear that they should set apart Paul and Barnabas for the, for the work that is ahead of them. And, uh, and so over the last few weeks, we have been following along with Paul and Barnabas on this missionary journey where they are taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And for clarity's sake, uh, Gentiles are anyone that is of not of Jewish descent, is not a Jew. So that would include us in this category. So Paul and Barnabas spend most of their time in what is now modern day Turkey on their first missionary journey. And so they've, they've suffered through some incredible hardships along the way as we've seen, but they've also seen miracles and, and God move in a way uh, that is really utterly extraordinary. As we pick it up this morning, Paul and Barnabas are, are wrapping up their journey and returning back to the church at Antioch that sent them off, uh, and, uh, which is located in Syria, Antioch in Syria, to give you a place uh, to, to think about for modern Day. So let's start in 14, verse 24, and I'll read the entire passage. Then they passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. From there they had sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by the mouth, that by the, mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? 
But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for His name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may see the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For far, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch and Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers, and that's brothers and sisters who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what uh, has been strangled and from sexual morality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the Lord with many others also. As you can see in our text today, this is a pivotal moment for this young church. They've been in existence for only a short time and they are met with a doctrinal issue that could divide the universal church and and lead to much disunity and fraction amongst the Christians who are there. So I'm going to to do things a little different from what I would normally do, what we would normally see as a, a steady diet up here. Instead of walking through verse by verse... I'm actually going to I'm actually going to actually just kind of talk about what the problem that we have here, the problem that's presented to uh, the church here in uh, in Antioch, and also the church in Jerusalem as they bring it back to them, as they send uh, send people back to them to be able to to figure it out. But also, I want to see what the solution entails. So we're going to look at the problem, then we're going to look at the solution for so solution to the problem. 
And then I'm going to just give a few takeaways to help us to contend for the gospel well. Things that can help us to contend for the gospel well. So I'm going to give us some verses that I think will be helpful, and then we're going to read those verses as we look at the problem. As we look at the problem. The, there's four verses that I think lay out the problem for us. That is uh, Acts 15.1, Acts 15.5, Acts 15.10, and Acts 15.24. 15.1, 15.5, and 15.20. Four. Let me read those again just so we're clear. 15.1 But some men came down from Judea were teaching the brothers unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses you cannot be saved. 15.5 says this But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said it is necessary to circumcise them to order them to keep the law of Moses. Another problem is found in 15.10. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? And then 15 and 24. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and, and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions to do so. So you can see here, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a main issue here that the, the Jews are still holding on to a works-based religion. You, you must go and do this. You must order them to be able to do this in order to receive salvation. You must put this yoke upon them that they may receive salvation through a works-based religion. And I want to caution us that any religion that gives requirements for salvation besides faithfully believing that we are saved by grace through faith in Lord Jesus is a false religion. For these Jews, it was circumcision. But for us today, we still battle this idea of a works-based salvation in many of our churches today. See, the problem that they have here is, is still a problem in our universal church. You see, these Judaizers, these, these guys that were holding firm to the Jewish religion, that were deceiving these new Gentile converts, their identity was wrapped up in the law and their old traditions. Their identity was in circumcision. Their identity was in sacrifice. Their identity was wrapped up in these traditions and they couldn't fully understand that the new covenant was found in Jesus Christ, a covenant of grace, not of works. Because their identity relied on keeping the fullness of the law, which was an impossible task as we, as we see in verse 11. That was an impossible task that they could not keep the law. It was too much for them to bear. But it was so ingrained in their system that it was all they knew. 
It was all they knew. It was, it was what they, they, they knew that would help them to be obedient to what God had called them to. And so we have a tendency to look at these Jews, these Judaizers, and we say, how dare they? Like, how can they do this? Like, don't they understand that Jesus came to save the lost and that His grace and His mercy has overcome the works of the law? Why would they, why would they dare do this? But I want to warn you, and I want to warn myself, that we are not far from them. We are not far from them. On a, on, a, on a more minute level, like we have preferences, right? Like each of us have preferences that we, that we follow. Now this isn't a false religion having a preference, but it can lead down a road that can, that can lead you astray. It can lead down a path that could lead you to a works-based religion really quickly. It's a slippery slope. I remember not long after being called into the pastorate, I had the opportunity to go back and preach at the church, church that I had grown up in. And I, and I remember joking to my mother and going, hey look, I preach for 45 to 50 minutes and I know you only have an hour service. How are we going to make that work? And she said, you better figure it out because you'll be preaching to yourself at 12 o'clock. And she was right. I would have been. Right? And so I don't want you to begrudge my mother. I want you to begrudge the church. But... But we, we, we have to understand that, that, that this was who they were. They, had, they, they started service at 11 o'clock and they stopped service at 12 o'clock. This was so ingrained in them that, that there was nothing that would change that. Not even, not even a prodigal son who was coming back to preach could go too long, right? Because we were having potluck afterwards and you don't dare go 1201 on a Baptist potluck. <laughs> So we have to understand that almost every one of us came in here this morning or came into this church at some point in time with some sort of prejudice. Some sort of thing that we desire, that we want. That we, we want to see done. Maybe you come in here and say, man, you know, I hope they sing praise and worship in here. I hope they sing a certain way. I hope they got drums. I hope, they, I hope they do that. I hope they have children's church, right? Maybe when you came here, I hope they have children's church so that my kids don't have to sit in service. That's a preference for me. Or maybe they have really good preaching. Maybe they do that. And I just want to tell you, we don't have any three of those. Like, like Especially when I'm preaching. I understand that. Paul did a really good job last week. That was great. Thank you, Paul. I'm just kidding, but really, like we, we, we make this idea of our preferences to be the thing that drives us and not contending for the true gospel. So we look at these Judaizers and we go, how dare they put something that's work-based on these people, a yoke of slavery that they cannot bear, yet you, we, we bring our preferences into this. All, it happens all the time. Another way that I, that I see this happening, another vein in thinking this way, is, is this idea, it's the way I've always done it, so I'm going to continue to do it. I've always done it this way, so therefore I, I must continue to go and do it. When that couldn't be more from the truth. We must be careful with this way of thinking. You see, these Judaizers were somewhat walking on this path, and it's a, it's a dangerous path. They were, they were, they were saying that, 
hey, this is the way we've always done it, therefore we must continue to walk down this path. We must continue to, to, to do it this way. We must continue to, to, to still require circumcision for salvation. We must order them to do this. We must bring the Gentiles into this what we, are already, what we have already done. And we have to be careful in thinking that we do, must do things the way it's always been done. You see, there's, there's many of us that, um, that believe what our parents believed, right? Like there's this idea of, I believe, I have, to, I have to do what my parents taught me to do. Not necessarily what Scripture leads me to do, not necessarily what I'm guided myself to kind of own in my own, uh, what, what does Christianity look like for me? How is God growing me? But we put our identity in how we grew up or, or what my parents taught me or what it is that I have to do. But I want to tell you that your parents won't answer for your salvation. When you stand before the Lord and you have to give an account for the sin that you committed, it won't be your parents that will give the account for you or it won't be the one who discipled you. It won't be the one who led you down this road. Like It will be you that will have to give an account. And for you to be able to give that account, you have to know what the Gospel is, what the Bible says. So I want us to be careful with this idea of, of thinking about these Judaizers as, as being something that's happened back then. No, this happens today. It happens every day in our churches. You see, I, I, the, the church that I did grow up in, the church that I went back and taught was a free will Baptist church. I can tell you that today, because of, uh, of through discipleship and through, and through being in churches that, that taught differently and instructed the, and saw the Bible for myself for the first time, that, I, I don't, uh, that I'm definitely not, I definitely don't contend with some of the doctrinal things that free will Baptists believe. Today, my mom and dad have been a, a members of that church for 50-some years, right? But that's, their, that's theirs. I have to give an account for what I know, what I've been led to believe, what I see in the Scriptures. And I just, I, I don't believe doctrinally that way anymore. And so, I think we can be brothers and sisters in Christ in this way, like with the church. I think we agree on the gospel in this way. It's not a works-based salvation. But we just agree very differently on ecclesiology, which is theology of the church. We disagree on uh, soteriology, which is the theology of salvation. Very much so. But yet, we can be brothers and sisters in Christ. But many Christian religions... They, they offer the requirements that something other than the gospel is sufficient. So this may include baptism as a requirement for salvation. Confirmation, maybe the Holy Eucharist are requirements for the Catholic Church in order to be saved. Many religions believe they must perform certain rituals for salvation. They must also perform good deeds, than, uh, more good deeds than bad ones in order to be saved, right? There are some religions that believe I have, to, I have to do more good deeds than I do bad deeds. And my question to them is how in the world do you keep up with it? How do you deal, how do you, how do you deal with the weight of that yoke of slavery as the Bible puts it? But yet they believe that. You see, this problem that we see here in Acts will be a problem that Paul has to address with the churches that he plants. 
during his missionary journeys. He deals with it extensively in the church in Galatia as that church struggles with focusing on grace instead of law. Or he focuses on grace instead of law as they focus on law instead of grace. He goes so far as to say, I'm astonished that, that you have forgotten what the true gospel looks like. I've, you, you've forgotten what it is. I'm astonished that you have so quickly gone away from what the true gospel is. But this is true of us today. If we, if we don't remind ourselves of the gospel, if we don't remind ourselves often of the good news of salvation, we can easily be tossed to and fro by the waves of every doctrine. And that is a concern. We must be able to go and understand that, 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 that Jesus is a free, his, he, he is a free gift of grace. And that we must believe in Him that this, this pearl of great price is worth going after. It's worth knowing and studying and diving deep or we will deceive ourselves into thinking that Jesus is no longer sufficient. This leads us to the solution for their problems. The solution for their problems. We find one solution in uh, Acts 15, 7 through 9. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. See, Scripture teaches us that God shows no partiality. He cleanses the hearts of any that call upon His name. And we see that here. The solution to their problem was the clarity of the gospel. It was to clarify the good news of the gospel. Because we know that the heart is deceitful, right? Matthew 15, 18 says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and it defiles a person. That what comes out of your mouth is actually coming out of your heart. Jeremiah 17.9 is a reminder that heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick and who can understand it? You see, the law doesn't cleanse people from their sin. Only Jesus' blood can atone for sin. It is through Christ that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His Grace. And so we see that it is God who cleanses the hearts of His people and He must cleanse the hearts of His people here. Another solution is found in 1511. 1511. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, just as they will. It is by grace, Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we don't boast in our own salvation, we, we boast in what God has done by giving us this free gift of grace found in Jesus Christ. 
So he points to the gospel. Peter, as he's speaking here, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And as a result of that, we see in verse 20, verse 20 and 21, but uh, should we write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled, and from blood... For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read in every Sabbath in the synagogues. So we are to, because of God's grace, because we have been saved by grace through faith, we should abstain from sins. And the reason that these sins specifically are mentioned here is that they were particularly disgusting and reviling for the Jewish society, for these Judaizers. These sins resonated from the Levitical law that that God had given to the Jews to, to follow specifically. So even in charging them to abstain from particular sins, they still focused on the ones that were most important to them. It's why I uh, had Mike, or we read from Colossians 3 today. If you want to know what sins I should abstain from, if I need an exhaustive list of what to put to death, I would say read Colossians 3 and put to death all those envy, strife, sexual morality, all those things that are listed there, and then put on all the things that were mentioned as Mike read to us, all these specific ways that we can grow. We see Paul, he lays out these these sins for us, that we should abstain from these sins, put these sins to death. You see, the sacrificing of animals and the shedding of blood that, that they focused on here in verse 20. And again, as they put it into the, into the letter uh, from the Jerusalem church to the, to the church in, uh, in Antioch, as they put into that letter to abstain from these sins, these specific sins, that it was a foreshadowing, a sacrificing of animals and the shedding of their bloods was a foreshadowing of the perfect sacrifice and the atonement of sin found in Jesus Christ. And so we praise the Lord for that. It is through Jesus' blood that we have forgiveness of sin. We find that in Hebrews 9. It was a foreshadowing, but it wasn't something that they should continue in. So the problem was their, their works-based works religion, that they had to do certain things in order for them to be saved. And you've got Peter and you've got Paul and Barnabas who debate with him that say no. It is by grace that you have been saved. It is a free gift from the Lord that you have been saved. And for you, I want to remind you that, that there is nothing that you can do to work your way up to a certain standard for God. It is a yoke that you cannot bear. It is something that you cannot do. It's not something you can attain for yourself. As we see in 9 and 10, it is something that the God does inwardly in our heart through the Holy Spirit that comes in and changes your heart. So if you're here this morning, you've been deceived by your own works, if you've been deceived by your own sin, that, man, I can't abstain from sin, I love sin, I I love the things that I do, I I, I actually do things the way I've always been taught to do, so that's the way I'm going to continue. If you came in here with that kind of mindset, I want you to understand that, that there is a better way. And it is understanding the true gospel that God changes the heart. It is God who does a work in us. It is God who gives the Holy Spirit to us to change us, transform us, renew us, and conform us to His image and not our own. 
And it is by grace that we have been saved. There is nothing we can do to earn His salvation. Praise be to Him. And so I want to give us a couple of takeaways to help us to understand what it means to contend for the true gospel. To contend for the true gospel. The first one is this. We have to learn to tell God's stories. We have to learn to tell God's stories. Look at verse uh, look at chapter 14 and verse 27. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together and they declared all that God had done with the, had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what Paul and Barnabas is doing as they go back to the church of Antioch and they're giving a report to the church and they're, they're declaring all that God has done with them. Look at 15 verses 3 and 4. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and, and brought great joy to all the brothers. And then when they got to Jerusalem, on the way, on the way to Jerusalem, they're going off and they're stopping at different churches along the way, and they're talking about all that God has done with them just in this first missionary journey. And then in verse 4 they say, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Look, they're describing what God had done. They are, they are declaring what God had done. We have to learn to tell God's stories. Because what we're quick to talk about, what we're quick to do, we're quick to talk about what's going on in our lives, right? We're quick to talk about what our kids are doing. Uh, we're quick to talk about uh, our workplace. We're quick, quick to talk about things that are happening at work in our lives. But we're slow. If I were to ask you, like, hey, what has God done in your life the last couple of weeks that you've been able to really see Him work in your life? What is something that you can point to? It would take you, I bet it would take you, for most of us in here, it would take up a couple of seconds to think about what has God done? What has God done? Let me think about that for a second. Isn't that true of us? Like we're, we're, we're so quick to talk about things that really don't matter, but yet we don't tell God's stories. We don't declare and proclaim what God is continually doing in our lives, and we need to make that a part of our conversation. Let me tell you what a door God opened up for me. Let me tell you how God has been working. That, is, that should be the story of our lives is His story that we get to proclaim and understand and talk about and lead others into this conversation about what God is doing in our lives. So we must tell God's stories. There's, there's a church down in Lyons, Georgia that, um, that has supported every pillar church in the Praetorian Project with $10,000 a year. That's a lot of money. There's been nine churches to go out Pillar churches that have gone out throughout the world and each one they have given this much money to. They've dedicated their, their, their monies, their, their mission efforts to go and do this. And, and, and Brother Danny, who is the pastor of the church, he, will, he tells us all the time, you've got to tell God's stories. You've got to, to, to tell God's stories about what God has done in your church, in the, in the lives of your people, and through the project as a whole. You've got to tell God's stories. You've got to go and proclaim and declare and describe what God God is doing. Can you imagine what they were telling them? Like, if you it just just last week we read that 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 Paul was 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 stoned, dragged out of the city. He was left for dead. Right? 
They thought he was dead. I don't know. I don't know what Barnabas was doing in this situation, right? But we understand that he was left for dead. Okay, he gets up. He doesn't immediately go to the next town. What does he do? He goes back into the city he just got thrown out of, and then they go on to Derby, right? Can you, like, can you imagine Barnabas trying to tell this story? Man, you should have seen Saul. I just saw him. He was like he was laying there for dead. It was amazing. Then he gets up. His face is all bruised and broken. He's got blood running. He gets up and starts walking back into the city. I tap him on the shoulder and say, what are you doing? He's like, they need to hear the gospel. Like, can you imagine that story? Or that telling of that story and describing what all this that God has done in their lives? We have, we have to put ourselves in that situation for God to be able to work in us like that. So we must tell God's story. That helps us to contend for the true gospel. It helps us to contend that God is real and that God is doing something in us. The second thing we see, we must hold firm to sound doctrine. We must hold firm to sound doctrine. Look at 15.2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no dissension and debate with them, what happened? So we got people that are coming down. Some men came down from Judea. We're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to... And Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate. Let me ask you a question. Should we debate this morning the color of our carpet? If you said yes, don't. The answer is no. Should we debate the color of our walls? No. Again, we all have preferences, right? Like, man, I, I prefer... Man, it should be purple. Like, Jesus' color, His royal colors are purple. We should color the walls purple. I don't believe that, but I'm just saying. Maybe you have some thoughts like that. But if I ask you, like, man, if I come in here and I say, man, these Jews got it right. These Judaizers, they were right. They should absolutely circumcise their children or th these new Gentile believers. What would you say? Hopefully, you would either turn around and walk out or you would contend that that's not the true gospel. That you would, that you would stand up and say, no, that's not right. That's not true. That's false. And I want to refute it. That is what they were doing here. They were, they, they were refuting what was false. And so we must hold firm to sound doctrine. Listen to this from Titus 1. Now, this is a qualification for an elder, but this is really the qualification for all believers. Listen. We must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. If you do not know sound doctrine, how are you going to contradict it? If you don't know what's true, how are you going to refute false teaching? You must have a firm foundation in sound doctrine to be able to debate and dispute and to be able to call out false religion, to call out what is not true, what is not noble, what is not good? You must be able to contend for the true gospel in a way that affirms Scripture. You see, Paul and Barnabas and Peter and Simeon and James, they all spoke up to affirm the doctrine of salvation, the right doctrine of salvation. 
James quotes from us Amos 9, 11, and 12 here to help the Jews see that the prophets actually testified the gospel, that the gospel would go to the Gentiles. It would have resonated with those people. Those Judaizers would have, okay, I understand. That's coming from the prophet Amos from long ago. You see, all Christians should aspire to be able to refute false teaching in this way, just as Peter and Barnabas and Paul and Simeon and James do. But here's my concern. Here's my concern. My concern is that we, we shy away from those sorts of conversations. My concern is that we, we actually shrink back when, when those kind of discussions come up because we don't feel prepared, we don't feel ready for them. But yet we, we should. Ephesians 4, 14 says this, We should all attain to mature manhood so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We must be growing in Christ. We must be maturing in the faith. We must be like Jesus who in Luke 2.52 grew in stature and wisdom. Even Jesus grew in stature and wisdom. We must do the same. We have to be aspiring to mature manhood. We must hold firm to sound doctrine. Or we will be deceived. We will give way to crafting, uh, to human cunning, to, to craftiness of evil schemes. We're, we're, and we are we're tossed to and fro really quickly. If we don't have a firm foundation of what we believe and what the Scriptures say. The third one is this. Be patient with new or immature believers. This is a hard one. Be patient with new or immature believers. I want you to look with me to, to 15.5. And this is going to be crazy, but let's look at this. But some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said... Now, notice the dichotomy here. Luke is the writer here. Look what he says. He called these Pharisees what? Believers. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. These were believers. These Pharisees. There's a couple of things we need to see here and understand. If you have any sort of Bible knowledge, any at all, you know that the Pharisees were the chief antagonists to Jesus, right? Did y'all know this? If you don't, go and read Matthew 23 when we're done today. It's really powerful what Jesus tells, what He says to the Pharisees. He spends a whole chapter recounting what Jesus Himself thought of the Pharisees. Matthew 23. But yet, there were some who believed. Now yes, they didn't quite convert all the way. They didn't, maybe they did convert, but like they're still holding on to some of that tradition, the way I've always done it, right? But we should celebrate the fact that Jesus, like, even in His woe to use, resonated. 
The gospel resonated with some of these Pharisaic Jews that they believed the gospel. They heard the gospel and they believed it. Man, what a powerful... See, we don't, we don't always know people's backstory, but yet we're quick to judge. We don't always know what people's history was, but yet we're quick to go, man, like, you're old. you've been in the church for 30 years, and, and you don't know what this theology means? And you know what I mean? Like, we, we, we're quick to judge people in that way. Or you've been around the church all your life, and you didn't understand that you needed to be baptized? Yet we don't know where they we don't know what their history was. Like if you didn't know the history of the Pharisees, like this wouldn't be as big of a deal as it is than that Pharisees were converted. The Holy Spirit did something in them. And then it was through the discipleship of, of the apostles and the elders and the teachers, through their discipleship, they gathered to, to, to create what they're going to do with this council. That they, oh yes, we affirm it. We affirm that yes, this is not, we should not continue on in this. Yet we should do, we should understand that it is the free gift of grace. We have to remember that it takes some new Christians longer than others to understand the scriptures. It's why discipleship is so important. It's why we spend so much time talking about it. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That is not an inactive term. We are called to go and make. God does the work of, of changing hearts, but yet He calls us to be a part of that sanctifying process, that maturing process. He calls us to be a part of it. And so we must... We must be patient with new believers or immature Christians as a whole. My fourth one is this. You need to become a member of a local church. You need to become a member of the church. Here's why. Verse chapter 14 and verse 27. And when they had arrived, they gathered the church together. 15, 3, and 4. So being sent on the way by the church. Okay? They were sent by the church. And then in chapter 4, in verse 4, they came to Jerusalem. They were welcomed by what? The church. They were sent by the church. They were welcomed by the church. And then you go to 1522, what does it say? Then it seemed good that the apostles and elders with whom? The whole church. Look at verse 30. So they were sent off. They went down to Antioch. They gathered the what? The congregation. The church. How would they know who to gather? How would they know who to call? Unless there was a... a, a, a church that was able to gather this member people that were members of one body that were members of this church gathered together you need to understand it is vital it is important that for us to lead and shepherd the flock well your your elders the plurality of elders that lead this church we have to know who's in and who's out 
The only way that we know who's in with us and who we are called to shepherd are those who became members. If somebody were to come to us and say, hey, we need to gather the church, who are we calling to gather? Those who have joined and covenanted with us. That is who we're calling together. That's who the emails are going to. That's who the text messages are going to. This is not just something that I'm making up. They gathered the church several times here to be able to make this decision. It is the church that holds the keys to the kingdom. And you should join and be a part of the local church so that you can help in that, that you can be a part of that. That you can partake in that. It is for the building up of people. In order for us to train you up to contend for the true gospel, it helps us, the members here, to know who Pillar Church is that needs the training. It helps us to shepherd you well. Therefore, we urge you to become members of this church so that we can shepherd the flock well. Man, we just got a really cool... Um, a really cool message this morning to the elders uh, from a guy who is, who is a member here, but he's in Okinawa on deployment for six months. He had to take, he had to, he had, he had to hop, he had to get up early this morning at like 5 a.m., get on a bus, travel to a certain place where a member of Pillar Church in Okinawa picked him up and then drove back to, uh, to the place where they gathered together and worshiped this morning in Pillar, Okinawa. That is the members of one body working together. You've got to know who's in and who's out. Become a member of the church. It was a member they called to go and get Sam to be able to go to church. It wasn't somebody who was just on the peripheral. It wasn't somebody who was like, yeah, i am just got my toes in the water. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to see where, where God would have me. No, it was, they called a member of the church to go and pick up Sam, knowing who he was and he was dependable and be able to do that. And his church is working together to be able to, uh, to, to do this and to be able to come to decisions. This church is gathered together. So become a member of the church. It's vital. It's so vital. It's, it's, it's just so important. And I, I know we talk about this in our group life class. We know that membership is not explicit. It's not explicitly in Scripture that you should join a church. But it, it is implicitly there. It is implied in many areas, including this one. It is implied to see that it was the church that gathered. You should be a part of the church. And then the last thing I have for us that we can take away to contend for the true gospel is we must encourage and strengthen one another. 15.32 says this, Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And they spent some time there and they discipled them. We must encourage and strengthen one another. The only way that we can do that is by being in community with one another, knowing one another. I can't strengthen and help you and encourage you unless I know you. We must get to know our brothers and sisters who are here. We are members of one body, building one another up to love and good works. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us to strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to excel. That is Paul's language to the Corinthian church. Strive to excel in the church. Encourage and strengthen one another and excel in doing so. We do that by encouraging one another, loving one another, strengthening one another in our, in our times of need. So my, 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 my push to you is to be an encourager. 
to help strengthen someone who may be suffering and struggling. But we must contend for this together. We must be in this together. We are the church. We must contend together for the true gospel. We must. So my, my, my urge to you is to understand the true gospel. To know its depths. To know what it means to understand what the true gospel is. To contend with, to be able to debate and to understand sound doctrine. And that we would strengthen and encourage one another as we walk together in this. We pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that is given to us in Scripture. How it guides us, directs us, transforms us, and helps us to, to, to know who we are and, and what should we be striving to do. So we just thank you for your grace and your mercy given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, as the musicians come, I just want to urge you that if you are here today and you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you have not experienced His, His grace, if you have not understood His mercy, if you have not understood what happened on the cross for those who believe, then please talk to me or one of these others who's on stage. We would love to help you to see the goodness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ and who He is. Church, please stand with us as we uh, continue to worship. Number 302, Nothing But the Blood is our next.